This is Rise and Grind, and I'm Damon John, and I turned $40 into the multi-billion dollar brand FUBU. I'm also a shark on ABC Shark Tank and a consultant to brands, businesses, entrepreneurs, executives, and celebrities all over the world. For my new book, Rise and Grind, I sat down with some of my highly successful peers from all different industries to see how they conquered their goals. And in this podcast, I'm going to give you an in-depth, inside look into the daily habits and routines of each of my guests to find out how exactly they make the most of their 24 hours. Rise and Grind is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter has helped businesses of all sizes find great people. And right now, listeners to my podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash rise. A little later, it's grow time with ZipRecruiter CEO and co-founder Ian Siegel. Ian will share some insight on pivotal moments that help businesses and their leaders grow. Today, we'll talk about knowing when it's time to start hiring people. Stick around for that. Today, I'm proud to have one of my fellow sharks, Barbara Corcoran, on the show. She overcame a broken relationship and failed business partnership to grow her own company, the Corcoran Group, into a multi-million dollar real estate firm. Along the way, she shares some of her personal practices for decluttering your mental life and prioritizing your most important goals. What makes Barbara so amazing is that even though she's ruthless in her professional life, she's also one of the most generous and positive people you'll ever meet. I really enjoyed listening to what she had to say, and I think you will too. So today I'm going to interview, honestly, one of my most favorite people on the planet. One of I, your most favorite? It is. One. Hmm. Not good you know. enough. My daughters are in there somewhere. Okay. And, you know, things of that nature. <laughs> Barbara Corcoran, my fellow Sharkette. Um, Barbara grew up with a family of 10 children. Uh, she would go on and create the Corcoran Group and also be my co-star on Shark Tank and just an amazing person overall. But, you know, throughout the years, whether she knew it or not, I've learned how to maximize my productivity uh, by things that she's said and then maybe I've applied it in my way in my life. But I want to just have a couple of minutes with her and share with you of all the things that she does during her daily uh, routine and the things that she's learned, the things she's forgotten. So thanks, Barb. Thanks for being with me. Pleasure, pleasure. You know, I love you back, right? I would have said you were my, my favorite shark, my favorite friend, but forget mm -hmm. it because you put the qualifier on you the know, first. Well, you know, I, I put a couple other people, but yes, you are my favorite shark. Ah, Jet, that's what I want to hear, let me baby. Say, your beach house, you will always be my favorite <laughs> shark. <laughs> I knew I could buy you. <laughs> so, Barb, I know you've said it many times, but let's say that somebody here has been on another planet. Can you just tell me briefly? You know, where do you grow up and uh, your, your family and just a couple of quick things that we can just start off with? Sure. Well, the most important part to know is I had a phenomenal mom. All you really need is one great person in your life, I think. So I had a tremendous head start uh, in life and confidence in uh, being loved. I mean, if you think about it, that's a big card, isn't it, to be loved by your parent and to have a decent parent who believes in you, right? Absolutely. But I, I, I'm, a, I'm an only child, right? Um, so there was only one direction of the love to go, 
your mom you. had 10 kids. She Well, listen, your mother had no choice but to love you. Right. If she had uh, had other kids to love, she may not have picked you at all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I want to know how, how <laughs> let's, start, let's start out the gate with that. Yeah. Your mother had to be amazing to be able to make everyone feel that cherished. Oh, we all felt cherished. And we also felt cherished by my dad. So we really had two great parents. Uh, but... Uh, you know what happens when you're in a, a large family is every kid in the family grows up very competitive because you're competing for your parents' attention constantly. You're competing for the food. You're competing for the bed. You're competing to get out the door. You're competing for everything in your life. So you get an early lesson on um, teammanship, uh, getting along with people, and how to beat the next guy into something faster than what you want. You know? But how easy was it to play on that team? Because did you grow up in a middle-class family, low-class? Uh, you know, did you well, have resources? Thought, you know, uh, at the time, we thought we were rich, kind of, uh, but we weren't. We had two bedrooms, and we had 10 kids in two bedrooms. So I imagine okay. if we were wealthier than that, we would have had a few more bedrooms, and we had one bathroom. We sure could have used another bath or two. Right. But um, we felt kind of rich because in our town, uh, everybody was the same. It was a blue-collar working town. Everybody worked at the factory. And I think the reason I kind of thought we were rich is because my house was more organized than everyone else's because my mother was like a drill sergeant. So everything was in order. My mother constantly painted the walls different colors every six months, so we thought we had a designer in the house. Um, and my dad didn't work for the local factory. He got in a suit every day and drove to Patterson, New Jersey, and he was a printing press foreman. So I thought we were like the uh, Catholic Kennedys in town, you know, like, whoa, we're somebody cool. But back to my mother, which I really just wanted to say, the most important thing is uh, she was an, a phenomenal uh, manager uh, to begin with of people, a great judge of people, and she was a great cheerleader. She could make, she would make each of us feel so amazing. But she was a great motivator, a great uh, drill sergeant, and she just always acknowledged the gifts that you specially had and made you remember that you were special because you had a certain gift. And the one she gave me was, I had the gift of creativity. I was amazing. I could create and think of anything, dream up new things. And what happens with kids, the more you tell them and put them in that role of whatever you think they are, they usually wind up being that way. And it kind of worked that way with all 10 kids in the family. Now, I... I and that's amazing. And I, I, I read someplace about your dad. He, he, did he keep one job? Was he out of several jobs? I, I thought he I read someplace. Two jobs, my dad. He okay. worked as the printing press foreman during the day, and then he washed trucks at night for UPS. But what was great about uh, my dad, also beyond the fact that he was a hell of a hard worker, is he played with us on weekends. He never worked on weekends, and so he was the playmate of not only our, our, our family, but he uh, did all the uh, softball teams. He taught kids. Tennis, when he got into golf, he taught everybody in the ball field how to hit a golf ball. He was just like the playmaster. And all the kids loved him because he could giggle with us and dream up the silliest things to do with us. Like when the car wash opened in town, every kid got to go to the car wash, an automatic car wash. But he had us go in our pajamas and he told us to roll down the windows before we went through. So we got slammed with soap suds. I mean, we had more fun than anybody nice. in town. So he's put this like wacky edge on things. Uh, but as a result of that, uh, we really learned to play. And we, we had that joy of silliness growing up, which is always popular with any kid. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because this is the first time hearing those stories and, and knowing you. You always bring 
team to things and you're creative and yeah, you always like to play. So well, you now I that was original. Now you realize that. I didn't, well, you know, I, you know, it could have came from various different places, right? Cause a lot of people here are going to listen to it and they're going to say, well, the reason I'm this way is because I never wanted to live that life of my mother and father who worked a nine to five and never enjoyed life. And I said, I'm going to enjoy life on the flip side. Mm. It could be somebody saying it was infectious and I only know one way to play. Yes. Exactly. Right. You so take it either way. Yep. Um, my dad also gave us one great gift. All the kids in my family, except for one are entrepreneurs. And I think in the family of 10 kids, that's a pretty odd, odd that that would happen. That is. Especially because my dad always worked for other people. But what he did is he hated working for other, other people. He was constantly fired for insubordination because he constantly told the boss where to, he used to come home and say, I told the boss to go shove his job up where the sun don't shine. And we go, yay, dad, he was fired. So we constantly, <laughs> constantly had my dad coming home early being fired. But he must have interviewed well because he was always unemployed for maybe two weeks and then got another job. So we got insubordination from him and we all came out of that household knowing none of us wanted to work for anybody for the rest of our life and we never did. We were all self-employed. So as you go on throughout your uh, you know, life growing up and then you know, the story goes that, you know, I'm not sure if it was your husband or boyfriend, but you created a group, uh, a real estate group with, with, uh, with, with somebody else and then they left with their secretary or something of that nature and you borrowed some money, can you tell us, give me clarity, because when yeah. I do speaking engagement, I try to recap a little bit of your story. Yeah, yeah. Maybe well, I'm wrong. listening hard enough. I'm not. I, I wasn't, I've never really listened to you before this. I got a lucky break, and if you think lucky breaks don't have a lot to do with success in life, they sure as hell do. I'm doing my little counter washing for the 10th time that night, and a guy walks in, dropped it gorgeous. I'd never seen a guy like this. He had aviator sunglasses on, he had a starch shirt on, a black shiny suit, dark olive skin and I couldn't see his eyeballs I'm like he's the guy for me I wouldn't look at him I knew I'd be losing my virginity within the week and that's exactly what happened but there I was 23 found myself a boyfriend and a year later he said with your personality you lost your virginity at 23 what's wrong with that I kept on to it for a week I didn't think I could hold on to it for the night okay I'm happy listen I have three daughters I'm gonna make sure they hear this thank you <laughs> Let's yeah. go back to you at the counter okay. with the with the with the guy. So meeting that Ramon Simone with an accent on both syllables was a momentous occasion. Yeah. You see, and uh, he became my boyfriend. I moved in with him and his three girls. I didn't know he had kids till I moved in with him a year later, and uh, we started a company called Corcoran Simone. I kept the accent. I thought it sounded fancy. Corcoran Simone. Mm-hmm. And then um, about seven years, almost to the itch, he came home one night and told me he was marrying my secretary. I couldn't believe it. But he did me a great service. I kept that business together for a year, and then one Friday Friday morning, rather, I walked in and I told him, I'm going to end this partnership today, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to chop the 14 people in half. You pick the first person, I'll pick the second. We'll divide them into two groups. And if you want me to leave, I'll leave. If you want to leave, whatever. He goes, yeah, you leave. So I took my seven people and announced... Guess what? On Monday, we have a new office. Oh, where? It's a surprise, because it was a surprise. But by Monday, we had rented the floor, three floors up over Ray from the same landlord. We had phones working. You could do it in those days. You just called Ma Bell, you got phones installed. And on 42nd Street, I bought 14 new desks, and they walked them up to 59th Street and plopped them in my office. We are rocking and rolling, ready for business on that Monday morning. And that was the beginning of the Corcoran Group. And I called a group, which is now a common thing today, but in those days, no one named anything the group. But I called it the group because I knew I was going to need everybody's help to just survive because it was not a good real estate market. Wow. Uh, what year was this? That was, who the hell knows? It was like 50 centuries ago. Yeah. 
I was 20, let's see, I was just 30, and I was born in 49, 59, 60, 70, no, 1979. Well, you would go on to have massive amount of notoriety and success, and I know that you would uh, eventually sell the company, And um, but even during the course of time, when I was married and living on Long Island, I think it was, I don't know, whatever year it was, where we were having a challenging real estate market, my my ex-wife at the time was actually selling houses to all a lot of the gentlemen who were making money in that the current movie now Wolf of Wall Street. She was mm. selling to all those. She was a, lot a broker. Of business then, yeah. And um, I remember coming home one day and she said to me, "That goddamn Barbara <laughs> Corcoran." I said, "Who the hell is Barbara Corcoran?" She said, "This lady just got on the news or TV or radio and she said, boom, the market is dead." pack up she said my phone was ringing 30 times a day it went down to three times i don't a day. believe her i'm no telling way. you she was pissed and she quit probably about two months after that because she said that lady was right oh but right she, but she God. acted like though yeah. she acted she acted as if i had ruined you it. weren't right you yeah, were yeah. the one who ruined the market so all of yeah. a sudden you said something and the entire market said because barbara said that i'm never going to sell my house now um, it, that would be pretty strong for you to, you know, um, be able to. I think to you exaggerated that. No, story. I'm, I'm dead yeah, yeah. serious. She blamed you. She, we had this big old bean bag of you in the so, house that she would throw shit at every time she comes home. Um, I'm sure that's true, Damon. <laughs> but no, she did. She really did hate you. Um, and I Thank hated you. you too because now she was home all the time. Oh gosh. So, I would, <laughs> I would go ahead and you, I would you should you. be sitting here thanking me. You know why? Because you got the first hint of how this marriage was going to roll out. I, at least you got an early warning. You ought to get out of this marriage while you can. Is that right? Okay. Uh, well, maybe I'll, I'll look at it that way. I would, mo I would go on and I would, I would meet you and on, on Shark Tank. And, and I never you. got that thank you note from me for that warning, by the way. I, I'm, I'm, well, no, because you, <laughs> I wanted her to work. Okay. But she already had a full-time job taking kids, my two kids, right? So now all of a sudden I'd go and meet you on Shark Tank and we would go and do business together and butt heads sometimes and every one of us has different theories and philosophies and I would find something fascinating about things you would say they are once in a blue moon and that would be to us personally because <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody here a couple of things and tricks because I can't, the whole I can't wait to hear what you're going to make up let's have it well, I remember one time you said Damon you know I like to or I, I just had want you to know just looking at your face right here I could tell you're making this crap up no, no, no. yeah yeah no, I know you well enough you, uh -huh. you said to me I wrote down a list of all the things I love to do and all the things I hate to do. And I started to find ways to not do the things I hate, outsource them, cross them off, whatever the case may be. You said that, right? Yes, I did. Okay. It's a great, great method. When I did you learn it. to do that, and why has it been successful for you? Well, I think not just for me. I think, I think everyone does very well with what they do well. And why struggle against the pattern of doing something not well again and again put that big effort in when you have your own gifts so i just think you should focus on what you do well and find some other sucker to do for you what you don't okay, want to but do. when did you start because you know did that come when you had already the resources what people feel is success and money because many people sit here and say i don't have the luxury to not do the things i hate because i hate taking my kids to school every day i hate showing up at work and i hate doing this i don't believe that's true honestly i think you could find a way to get anything you don't like to do done honestly no matter what your position in life is i can give you a couple of examples um 
well, I could even answer those particular objections. If you don't want to drive your kids to school every morning, you can, if you put your head to it, find somebody who's driving their kids to school that will pick your kids up if you want to barter something in return. You don't need money to get rid of the things you don't like. You need ingenuity, a little bit of imagination, a little bit of hustle to find a way to make it happen. I just always think there's a way to make anything happen. When did you start realizing you should do this? You know, I think it was the day I quit sales. You know, I was selling. I had initially in the company, as I mentioned before I ended the first business, uh, 14 salespeople, and I produced 80% of the income. I was like a superstar salesman. But one day, I came back from a customer. There were two women. They were sisters. They were like the customers from hell. And uh, I'd been working with them on and off for like months on end. And in my gut, I felt they would never really buy anything. But I exhausted everything, every opportunity. So one day, I came in uh, after working with them, and I thought, I, I sat down. I wrote, I'm unhappy. Why am I so unhappy? I used to love this. And so I wrote down what I loved about the job and what I hated about the job. And I don't even now remember what was on that list, but one of the things I hated about the job at that point was working weekends with customers I didn't like, which was part of the trade. And so I said, I'm giving up sales. Now that was a leap of faith. I was, I was ripping out of the company most of its income by me not selling. But what was on my what I love part, first and foremost, was I loved helping the salespeople succeed. And so I said, I'm going to focus on that, and I'm going to let go and let God and see if I could get so good at that that these people replace my income. And within the year, they had replaced my income easily, and I was doing all day long what I love the most. So, no, I think you can find a way. It's not like I had teams to delegate to or hired extra people or had the money to open a new department. But once the company got really large, you know, I had an advertising director, technology director. We had 1,000 people churning away. It was like a machine. Uh, it was so easy to go to the library, which I did every maybe third or fourth month, write down a list of what was bugging me and what I loved, and I would go back and I'd delegate everything that was bugging me just get rid of it and you know what happened the next day I go to work I'm like young again it's like I love my job I love my job and so I just got rid of the junk you know I do it in my personal life I do it in my business life and I think I'm probably the happiest person I know maybe there's happier people but I I kind of think I'm way up there and I think it's because I don't waste time like giving away part of my life to something I don't want to give it away to do you still do that today because you and I talk and technically I've been saying this uh, I've been retired for I don't know how long because you sure I work hard for a retired guy. And then you and I've been talking about that. We said we're working hard. We're working more now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Why would you call that retired? I would say a second career working harder than your first. Yeah, we're working harder now because yes. again we have this opportunity to invest in other people's dreams, and we're trying to figure our way out and what makes us happy. Do you still now create those lists? Yes, I do. But you know what? I have to say. Um, it's more complicated now. I think the complication because I've given this a lot of thought. The complication is, is when I was running the Corcoran Group, I was the chief, okay? So I was in charge. Uh, I wasn't the salesperson on the street anymore, so I could streamline myself and hyper-focus. Today, I'm sure you're the same as me because we're doing this very similar kind of work. I'm the salesman on the street. I'm the talent. I'm the yeah. mouth. Mm -hmm. I can't delegate that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't delegate you that. Be there, yeah. And yet I'm also running my business. So you really are drawn and quartered. And I find it's much harder for me to... Uh, not delegate, I'm a great delegator still, but much harder to be in both places, one foot as the producer and one foot as the director. 
Yeah, because as know? a talent, you know, it's, yeah. we we have to show up during the schedule when Shark Tank is shooting, and yeah. we're dictated by sometimes the release of these uh, entrepreneurs at a certain time. And a and lot also, of times, who's going to give you schedule. speeches? Who's going to do your yeah. endorsement well, no, I, deals? You know, listen, yeah, yeah, you've got to do people yourself. All the same. I just send a, I send a lot of guys who look like me to my speeches. Ah, <laughs> that's easy. I know at least fifty guys that look just like <laughs> you, a little thinner, but we could puff them that, off with that's some, right, no problem. some pillowcases or something, <laughs> pillows rather. <laughs> Now we're going to take a quick break because it is grow time with my man, Ian Siegel, CEO of Zip Recruiter. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me, Damon. So how does a business know when it's time for their first hire? I have a rule about hiring that I think everybody should adopt, and it's simply this. You never hire someone to do something new. You never hire someone to solve a problem that you think you're going to have. The only people you hire are people to take over things that you've already figured out how to do yourself. Mm. The first year I was at Zip, I was the only customer support rep, and I was taking calls 12 hours a day. When we finally hired somebody, uh, it really set me free to focus on growing the business again. That's the right kind of hire you want to make. When you have something that's already figured out, it's a process that's repeatable, hire somebody to manage that so that you can go do the hard new things. So just like scaling a business externally, you're scaling the process internally. That's right. You're the innovator. You want to be leveraged to keep growing the business, and you want other people to manage. I'm also using that myself. Thank you for being here, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. That was ZipRecruiter CEO Ian Siegel, and we'll hear from him again later when he tells us about some of the challenges he faced while building his team. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash rise. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash rise. Something else I've learned from you. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with it because I think there's a lot of theories in well, management. Well, then I don't want to hear about it. You will want to hear about <laughs> it. You said to me at one time, you know, I would look at, uh, you know, my staff and whoever said to me, oh, I got to talk to you. I have a concern or a question. Not a concern, but they had a problem. Mm. You knew if they said that to you on Friday, who you were firing on Monday. Oh, no. You got, you got the timetable a little wrong, but you got the general gist. Okay. Just so it doesn't sound totally wacky. No. I knew that if I had a complainer, Yes. Somebody who sucked energy down, not just necessarily for me, but for my staff, somebody who drained. I couldn't wait to meet with them on Friday and fire them. I felt like I was protecting my young, like it was a decay uh, that you had to uproot immediately. Because you know what I find? I find that people who are negative are going to stay negative. For the first many years of my business, I worked my buns off trying to convert negative people to positive people, thinking I could will that somehow. But if their parents couldn't do it, what did I think I was going to be doing as their boss? So I uproot negativity in any organization as quick as I could spot it, and I'm ruthless. And the reason for that is I say it, I'm doing it for my own health, but I'm doing it for the health of the organization. You can't have negative people. It's like the rotten apple theory. But how quick do you decide that? Because, you know, my management, you know, theory is, listen, everyone, Everybody's not going to agree, and there's going to be some strengths in some people. It's about and, attitude. Well, yeah. can I correct that attitude? Yeah. Can I bring them in to let to allow them to see the opportunity around, and yes, invest some time. And then if everybody in the corporation or the group says, 
separately. I have a problem with this person because of this, this, or I can't deal with the person. Then I let them go, but I invest some time in it. I, how much time do you put in? I don't put any time in it. I'm more ruthless than you, and I'll tell you why. Because I've been there. I've done that. I've tried to change people. And I realize if you wait for committee decisions, general consensus, they've already, they're kind of like the thief in the night, a negative person. They run and put your hands in their pockets. You don't know their hands are in your pockets. They run and take your money and leave. Uh, it's, it's not like literally money, but whatever the fortune of the business is, the goodwill of the business, the happiness level of the business. No, no, no. I just trust my instincts. Somebody's negative. I can smell it a mile away. If You know what happens when you have someone who's negative? They can't stay negative by the, the themselves. They have to complain to other people. So they have a pity party. Mm. Oh, poor me needs, oh, poor you. Oh, yeah, I'll go. So they, this isn't infe- fair. Before you know it, there's a hole. No, no, I move as fast as I can because I don't want any holes getting drilled okay. down. Well, so that's business, and, mm. and, and fortunate enough, you were the boss to do that. But what happens to you in your personal life with that, meaning family, members of family, friends, and people like that? Do you still have the same outlook on it, or do you, you find a way or to? Ha- or you would have no family right. at so all. What do you do in You'd that have time? no relationships. Actually, I'm quite the opposite. Uh, because I know it's needed. Um, you know, in, very, in a lot of families, you have siblings that don't talk with each other. I think that's probably more common than not common as they get older. Um, in my family, I'm on best terms with everybody, nieces, nephews, siblings. And you know why? Because over the years, when I've inadvertently offended someone, not know I did, and someone was going to pout, and someone was going to be really angry with me. In fact, I had one sister, I remember once she said she'd never talk to me again. And I didn't even know what I did, but I hit the floor in a parking lot with gravel on my knees, and I begged her forgiveness how sorry I was. I didn't even know what I was sorry about. All I know is that it's not worth it. I want happiness and good relationships. So I just eat crow. I eat crow faster than anybody in town when it comes to family and friendship because I value the long term of that. I mean, what's more valuable and harder to replace than a family member or a good friend? Yeah, they're irreplaceable in my book. So no, I just I just accept anything. I mean, I wouldn't, forgive me, to begin with, I wouldn't choose a negative friend. Uh, they wouldn't become my friend. I spot them too early. But in family members, you don't have those choices. So I just accept it as part of the family fabric, and I'm going to make sure I'm a peacemaker. That's it. it. Different attitude, totally different. What do you do the first 90 minutes of your day? Yeah, the first 90 minutes of my day is pretty much focused on my daughter, Kate, because she's 12 years old and at home. I make her breakfast. I make her lunch because she doesn't have a cafeteria get her after school with an hour and 15 minutes. Then I have 15 minutes <laughs> for myself, and I have a rope swing in my kitchen. I sit there, and I have my coffee, just a cup of coffee. It's like my special time. And then the so following... what do you do during that special time of having coffee? I just sip coffee, and I think I look at the view. You know, I have a beautiful view of the park from yeah. my kitchen, and I just daydream a little bit. Just I feel whole and happy and appreciative. I guess I'm feeling appreciative just for having the 15 minutes more than anything right, else, right. you know. I never have my cell phone. That ruins the 15 minutes. I used to do that for a while. I got in that nasty habit of being productive mm-hmm. in that 15 minutes. So I'm not productive for 15 minutes. Then I hit the floor running, work out for an hour. I only do that three days a week. And on the days I don't work out, I go on my bike, if it's not snowing, <laughs> mm-hmm. around the loop in Central Park. And that's the beginning of my day. And then you go to work. Then I go to the office, yeah. Okay. What happens during the last 90 minutes of your day? Uh, last 90 minutes. Well, it's, they're too late to begin with. I stay up way, way, way too late. Uh, but I spend the last... Well, maybe, you woke up at 6.30, so what's what time are you going to bed? Uh, I'm usually going to sleep 11, 12 o'clock. It's so. pretty late, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
pretty late. I'm not so very good at night, so I should, I know I should be going to bed earlier, but the night flies by. You know, I get Kate to sleep at 8.30, and then, you know, you take your long bath, whatever. I don't know, before you know it, it's midnight. I don't even know where the time goes. What I have killed a bad habit of doing is getting on my phone at night. It used to suck down like a rabbit hole three hours of my time before I knew it. Getting on your phone which way? Calls or texts? No, no, just trying to, you know, I'm a very neat person by nature. I can't stand disorganization in any form. And I can't stand going to bed with 80 emails that have not been opened. So I clean them all out. Ask me how important any of them are. They probably aren't even important. But I got in a nasty habit of... Uh, cleaning up my desk, so to speak, before yeah. I went to bed. I don't do that anymore. What a lifesaver. So the last half hour of my night, I usually read my gardening books. I just read about a flower or a bush and learn a little bit more about gardening. Has that all, Obviously, that has not always been your life because I, I believe that I read somewhere that you decided on uh, starting a family later on in life because you wanted to be more productive. What did you do in your earlier times, maybe when you were 20 or 30, that made you productive that you no longer do now? Was there was there a different schedule for the 30-year-old Barbara? Well, remember, when I was the 30-year-old Barbara, I was living like a man. I was kind of like a bachelor. Mm-hmm. I had uh, no one to be accountable to except myself. Mm-hmm. I worked 18-hour days every day of the week. I was out to see how far I could go, and I loved every minute of it. Never even felt like work, except when things were bad. Felt like a lot of work, you know. Um, but that was vastly different then. I was hyper focused on building a dream for myself and just becoming the number one real estate broker in Manhattan and the queen of New York real estate. The minute I hit that target, I was disinterested. It was like, mm, okay, done it. And by coincidence, I had a, my first child at 46, and by then I was, um, I, he was already two years old, Tommy. And so I decided to just sell my business and be a, be a mom, just like that. I found it very, very hard to be a mother and a business owner, a business builder at the same time, because I wanted to be a superstar mom to all my thousand people at, at work, because I love them dearly and would do anything for them. And I wanted to be a super mom to my new son, and I found I had sibling rivalry in my head and my heart every day of the week. I wasn't good enough at either. That's how I felt. So I decided to pick being a mom to my son. After all, I had dedicated my whole life to business. So I figured this was the chapter of my life. I would be a mom. But for those uh, for those who are listening, who the, one of the most common questions you and I and probably everybody who has some level of success or asks is how do you have work-life balance? There's no such and thing. You know that, right? There is no such thing. No, no, no. At what point, somebody listening to it now who are giving 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, giving it all, they are all out on work, they may be risking the benefit of their family, they may be risking their health, or they may have no way to report to. At what time in their lives do they decide, it may not be at an age, it may be a number on a checkbook, or it may be just, you know, I'll a spiritual thing that comes Get over scared them. scared or something like At that what time often. do they decide to stop giving 120% to the work, because it'll always be there, to then have a life and a family and everything else. Well, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on that. I think people drift toward where they get their satisfaction from. So if you don't get satisfaction from being a parent or a husband or a wife, you don't spend a lot of time there. It's as simple as that, you know? And if you really get a lot of satisfaction from your family unit, uh, you naturally want to spend more time there. I think that takes care of itself. Is there a direct correlation with the list that people would write and say, 
their list starts to grow to I want to be with my son more often. I hate working at night till midnight and not being with my wife. Is well, there a, a direct sh- correlation? Well, that's a, I'm not sure I really understand the question. Well, the list, that you, said, the list that you said you, were, you used to yeah. write. Mm-hmm. Does their list start to change from 20 to 30? And when they start to see that list at 30, is including family or is including their wives or, or, or their well, husband? That's up to them, is it not? If that's up to the individual, it right? is. But yeah. I'm asking you, when do they when when do they start to make that change? When you again, when you're meeting they, uh, you're talking about people in general. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think you need. I think you need a life change very often to to make you change direction. My life change was I had a baby. I never envisioned having a baby would play havoc on my desire to work. I never thought so. Every office I ever built from the time I was 25, I built an adjacent office right next to mine with sliding doors for my baby. I was always ready to have a baby next door while I was working all day, but I never got around to making the baby. There was the issue right there, okay? But you know what was also, uh, on a side note, that was great about that? Um, I, I think that taught me to delegate because every time... I made the business much larger and built a new office and another baby room next to my office. Um, I always ask myself, how would every department work without me once I had my baby and left? Because I wanted the business to go on. And so I would delegate anything and everything I did immediately uh, to make sure I could step out at any moment and have a baby, but then I never stepped out. I kind of got caught in the work. You know, Does that make sense? It does, it does it 100% makes sense. Yeah. Are there any productivity tips that you would recommend? Because you and I and everybody, you know, goes through a process of saying this worked for me, this didn't work for me. Are there any productivity tips? I can tell you what doesn't work for me. I'm good at knowing what's wrong. I'm a better editor than I am, honestly, a creator. What doesn't work for me is spending a lot of time on the phone. What doesn't work for me is getting caught up in emails. Picking up the phone, making a call, you get so much more done. People are shocked that they hear from you, no matter who you are. Okay. I think emails uh, are a total waste of all of our time to a great extent. Copying everybody and back and forth, it's so time consuming. Um, I recently, the best move I made uh, this last year was I removed all my emails from my phone. I have no emails, no one could reach me anymore, only they could text me. And the people who have my cell phone are my closest friends and family. Do you know how freeing that is? I probably save three hours a day. That's my best, now that I'm thinking about it, my best productivity tip. My other productivity tip, now I'm, I'm rolling now, I thought of another one, um, is to get rid of your phone. Okay, I walk in that door at night, I get rid of my phone. I think of that phone as my damn enemy. Okay? I take it, I plug it in the living room, because that's the room in everybody's house you rarely ever use, right? So I plug it in my living room, and I don't look at it again. When I used to have it in my bedroom, I used to use it as my alarm clock. Then one day I woke up, I thought, wait a minute, what if I got an actual alarm clock? And that's what I have now. My phone doesn't wake me up. If I wake in the middle of the night with a long laundry list of things I haven't done, which happens to me all the time, I typically used to jump up and get my phone and get it done. Then I couldn't go back to sleep. No more. I refuse to leave my room to walk to the living room, which is two or three rooms away from where I sleep. So, no, I and just... And by doing those things, yeah. you found that you've more been able time. to take back your life? I took back my life. And you know what else I took back? Peace of mind and reflection time and think time an independent thinking time versus response time to whatever you're reading on your damn phone. So it's been phenomenal. The phone, getting control of the phone versus the phone in control of you. Being on the offense instead of the defense. And I think that that's the 
I mean, that's the perfect way to tie My things up. My newest goal is going to be throw away the goddamn phone and not live with one. But, of course, your kids have to get you and your close friends you want to hear from. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, wow, I think that I think that, that ties it up. I mean, that shows the productivity, and I'm glad to hear how you have uh One other thing know, I could it. offer, which is very useful, I think everybody in the world works off a to-do list. I can't imagine, you know, you have a shopping list, your chore list, and your to-do list at work which is usually, for me, a combination of all three. You know what I've learned to do with my to-do list? I just scan it really, really quickly. There's usually 30, 40 items on a to-do list and just figure out what my A's are. What are the A's? And there's two kinds of A's. One is urgent. Your kid is sick with 101 fever and you damn well better call the doctor. That's an right. A. And your other A is you want to get a script made because you want to make a movie and you've been thinking about it a long time you haven't done a damn thing about it. That's an A, okay? It's going to push your business ahead in a meaningful way, add another dimension. So I just separate out my A's, and then I do those first, right away. And usually they're not the fun things. They're the things you want to procrastinate on. And all the rest that I like to do, like I love writing thank you notes. I love talking to certain people. I love thinking of a new creative slogan. I don't let myself touch it till I get my A's out of the way. And that forces me to take care of the important stuff. It really does. And the rest of it, if it doesn't get done, it moves over to the to-do list the next day. But I don't end a day without getting my A's done. It's like a discipline I've taught myself over the years. And on my A list today was get rid of that Damon John. And now the day is winding up, <laughs> and I'm determined to get rid of that guy. I love it. I love being an A always. Well, thank you, Barbara. I appreciate it. <laughs> my pleasure. All right. It's grow time again, and we're back with Ian Siegel, CEO of ZipRecruiter. Growing your customer base while still satisfying your existing customers is tricky for a lot of businesses. What helped you do it? At ZipRecruiter, I think the thing that really both enabled me to satisfy our current customers as well as grow our business was I did most of the support myself. Talking directly to customers did two things. First of all, the quality of the interactions you have with your customers ends up defining what your brand is. The second thing is, your customers will tell you exactly what your product roadmap should be. Your customers are your best source of knowing what to do next. So between creating great relationships with the customers who call in, plus listening to their feedback of what they want you to do next, you pretty much can't go wrong. Using them as ambassadors and focus group at the same time. 100%. Ian, I learned a lot. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. It was great to be here. If you're a growing business, ZipRecruiter can help you hire the right people. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash rise. Once again, try ZipRecruiter for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash rise. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. If you enjoyed listening to this interview, there is a whole lot more where that came from. I break things down even further in my new book and audiobook, Rise and Grind. I also share how I've incorporated some of these principles into my own life and use them to stay motivated and focused. Check out Rise and Grind wherever books and audiobooks are sold. And if you want more info on what I'm up to, check out DamonJohn.com and follow me on social media at TheSharkDamon.